that sense of making it to the NFL was over. Like I had already made it. I had already seen it. I had already been to games. So I put family first. Like I'm not there with my wife. I'm not. I'm missing time with my daughter. Um, so then the adult side started kicking. So I had to go to Plan B. So I applied with Delaware State Police, and while I was in the academy, the Eagles wanted to sign me, and I was like, Plan B's here. I'm already set in, and I stayed in the academy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Handbook, your guide to life, leadership, and health. I am your host, Gene Reed. That quote you just heard was our guest for episode number 10, Jamal Morrell, currently a state trooper with the Delaware State Police and former NFL football player. We had a great time on this one. We really covered a lot of topics, a lot of stuff that I was very ignorant to when it comes to Division One athletics and going to the NFL, the impact that has on the family, and just the things that Jamal has done to turn that into mentorship and his policing career, inspiring others. So I learned a lot during this one, had a really great time. Hope everyone else enjoys it. And as always, if you learn something, share something. Did you work out today? Nah, right after this. I worked I worked with my job last night, so I went home, took a quick nap, knew I had this in the morning, so I'm going to hit the gym right after. Yeah. Where are you working out these days? I go Edge Fitness. I normally have a home gym. I was just going to say, are you yeah, doing the home gym thing? Home or? Gym. had a home gym for like 10 years, and now we're getting a house built in Smyrna. Oh, cool. Yeah, so um, now we're, I'm actually staying with my mom, just no mortgage, just um, reaping the benefit of that. Yeah. Um. So now I've got an Edge Fitness membership. Hate it, but I got to get it in. What's uh twenty bucks a month or something? Ten, 10 bucks yeah, a month. Ten bucks a month. Can't beat it. They're probably they got to be bare bones though. Yeah. They don't. Do they have like a pool or anything? So nah, no pool. Just all workout equipment. Um, some f- like all fitness rooms, bike rooms, stuff like that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, they're popping up all over the place. Mm-hmm. I used to go to LA Fitness only because they had a swimming pool there. It makes so, a big difference. Yeah, when I was doing the triathlon stuff, like, yep. and even just for general fitness, that was really nice to have the pool there. But that was only. 25 bucks a month yeah. i think it's crazy the 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 low price set that mm-hmm. has come out and can't with those edge it. edge fitnesses coming out can't dude 10 it. bucks a month can't beat it i love it i switched over to the home gym thing probably two years ago mm-hmm. i got in early like before mm-hmm. covid yep and it was when my daughter was born or like right before okay because i just kind of knew like hey if i want to go sneak a 40 minute workout in and just walk out in the yep. garage rather than driving to the gym yep time time great line all right so I want to get some background on you. Okay. Like I said, you literally just walked in the door like here. seven minutes ago. Yeah. So uh, this is how I like to do it, like I said, because the less I know about you, the more mm-hmm. genuine it is. Okay. Um, born and raised in Delaware? Born and raised in Delaware. Grew up in Wilmington. Yep. Okay. Where'd you go to high school? Hudsonville Tech. Okay. Um, sports? Sports. Uh, did football and basketball. Yep. Four-year starter. Uh, yeah, four-year starter for both. Yep, good times. Did you lean towards one or the other, or were you? Eh, I was in between my whole four years. I love. Ba- I was great at basketball, but I put more time into football. All, right. all, all my off time, so that kind of like over time, I seen that propelled me through football. Um, but I was very athletic for basketball. Okay, yeah. what position did you play? Basketball, bass shooting guard. Okay, shooting guard. man, your size, shooting guard. Shooting guard. You always been a bigger guy. Always been a bigger guy. Yeah. Yep. Did anybody kind of grab onto you early on with, I don't want to say, well, yeah, like working out, like getting involved in strength training and mm-hmm. stuff like that? My dad. 
Okay. Yeah. So my dad was he was a big on football. Um, son of four four sons. Well, yeah, three brothers. So um, he was very big on working out, um, using your time wisely, and which I never understood as a kid. I'm like, no. fuck is he telling me about time? Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, over time, as I grew up, I'm like, wow, like the time that I did put into like my sports or whatever I wanted to be great at. Over time, I seen that it was paying off. So then, I once I got in that, I got in that mindset at a young age, and then I just took off. Yeah, you had some positive reinforcement yep. that. Ooh, yep. I'm mm-hmm. putting this work in, and yep. now it's paying off. Now, did he have that growing up, or like where did that come from? Him? He did. My grandma is like big on time, big on work ethic. Like you're not gonna just sit on your ass and waste time because you, if you sit on your ass, you're not getting nowhere in life. Um, so yeah, she she was that driving force as far as him like put in the work and you'll get a reward from it. But you gotta like be consistent with the work side. Um, so yeah, my dad, he put that into me and my twin brother and we just, it was it, it was it. Yeah. yeah. So you started as a freshman in high school? As a freshman, yep. For both baseball and, uh, I'm sorry, basketball and football? You, yep. Hmm. Now, academic wise, mm-hmm. did you have any issues balancing those no, two? No, I, you couldn't play sports without academics. I like it. That was our family. If you, uh, my dad was okay with, a C, but he would bust your ass like a C was an F in our household. Yeah. Um. So and that's I, I figured he set the bar. If you get a C, he would treat it as if it was F. So we thought A's and B's was was it. Yeah. No getting a C, and that was the same mindset I got with my kids. Yeah. You just gotta set the bar high. Yeah. Uh, what's the age on your kids? Eleven and six. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's that's very cool. Uh, are they into sports now? In the, into sports, obviously, yeah. right? Yep, starting them out with both soccer. So get the fundamentals, let them run around, have fun. Yeah, so my, my daughter just went into um, basketball, so she's... Now, where did soccer come from? Now, I only say that because mm-hmm. I played baseball and basketball yeah. growing up. Um, soccer was never mm-hmm. a part of our repertoire, yeah. if you will. So, And it doesn't sound like it is so for you either. So soccer for me is just me and my, my athleticism career. Finding the right sport for my kids because... I'm not just going to throw my kids in right into football. It's too demanding on the body. Um, so I even talking to my wife, she even she schooled me on this. She was like, well, you can't just start and right into sports, um, basketball, football. Basketball is a lot demanding on like a kid's legs, it is. jumping and stuff. And my daughter, she's she's like to my shoulders at 11. So I'm not going to demand that on her legs and her knees at that young of age. So I feel your soccer um, is better demanding, so they run all day. Uh, obviously, kids love to run, and it builds that muscle memory as far as um, hand-eye coordination. Just focus on the ball, and it's less injuries. I mean, they're just running around with other kids, and they're focusing on the ball. So, while on the off time, I can still train them as far as basketball, football. Like I train my son like pretty much every day for football, but he's not doing the demanding side of football. So it just almost I'm thinking longevity. Um, I kind of teach that to a lot of parents longevity. Um, you don't want to just throw your kids in a sport, and that's something that's nowadays is more mainstream that they're hearing more and more. Joel, I, I, I'm be honest, I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. Like with soccer being less demanding yeah. and building coordination, and even starting on that endurance, mm-hmm. and and that's. Yeah. Oh, I want to talk about when did the college selection process mm-hmm. start for you mm-hmm. like when explain that to me because i didn't go through that i mean i was a mediocre athlete in high school so yeah so it started for me probably freshman year of high school wow that yeah. early yep that early um so we we did a couple aau basketball but we me and my brother would jump around because we knew we loved football um so then we got on the radar as far as like 
them talking to my parents at certain uh, events and we started getting mail freshman year high school and like pretty much every college uh, I, I, if I start naming them pretty much every college would send us mail and then what we, what what are they saying oh uh, we're interested in you um and then pretty much they'll start the mail uh, start talking about the college so we we committed to Rutgers so I'll use them as an example so Rutgers would send us mail freshman year and they can't really recruit you yet, but they'll send you almost like advertisement mail. It's almost like a brochure as far as a trip. So they're like, oh, Rutgers University, we, um, when they originated, what they won, um, what players went to the NFL. So kind of like put that put that seed into your head. And you're 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. 13, 14 years old. Hmm. Didn't read a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't read a thing. <laughs> like, so your parents must have been pretty heavily involved. Mm-hmm. So was there a sit-down conversation early on like – Nah, my my mom and dad. That's what I love now. That I'm a parent, they let us be kids. So we, yes, we. A lot of our friends were like, "Man, you're doing sports every day," but like we still was able to go outside. We still was able to just play football on the street or do, play with our friends. And we, I didn't even understand. I didn't even know the significant of how hard we were getting recruited by colleges until like my sophomore or junior year. And then my mom and dad really told us. So I figured. Um, my mom and dad let us live as kids first. You know, they weren't like so demanding as far as, all right, well, if this college wants you, we're going to stay in the house and protect you. Right. Uh, now, what about your kid. coaches? Did they have conversations with you? Yeah, they did. But my dad was like, my dad was like a rock. He he always told all my coaches, just let them play. Don't put that, don't put that burden on them to, because if you get that burden as far as all these college wants you, you can kind of feel like you have to be great. You have to score a touchdown. You have to get points. And my dad kept that, kept it real with all the coaches. Like, don't do that to them. Dude, it sounds like your parents need to write a book. Yep. I, I'm serious, man. Yep. It sounds, they're like, yeah. they were on it. They were on it. They were on it. Because like you said, I think, I'm just thinking back to when I was a freshman or sophomore, right? If all major colleges, not all of them, but if a lot of major colleges were reaching out, you get a big head. You can maybe start letting your academics slide a little bit, like day. all that kind of stuff. Yep, see it every day. Um, yep. So I try to go around mentor a lot of kids that are great at sports, but you can kind of see they don't have the parenting side, which they might have great parents as far as the home, but as far as sports, a lot of parents don't understand the sports side. And I, I feel as though if a parent doesn't understand the sports side, your kid can get derailed quick because they can feed into that that hype. They can feed into that almost like the girls, they can feed into that fame side at a young age, and that's scary. That's a whole other ball game. I always say this, but it, it's a business. It's a business. And guess what? They're very good at it. Very good There's at a it. reason that it's those reason. schools are so prolific. Mm-hmm. I say sports advertisement and sports recruiting is probably bigger than McDonald's, Chick-fil-A. Like, you, they – and it's because it's happened at a young age. That kid doesn't understand it yet. They don't understand, like – Chick-fil-A is telling you come to be their brand, be the face of their brand. At a young age, they're just like, oh, I'm picking this college. Um, they don't understand it at that young age. It's just impossible. Yeah. 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 Why are they picking you? They're picking you because you're such a good athlete that they think other people are going to want to see you perform, yep. Yep. and they're going to pay money to do that. And you know who them. makes money? Them. The college. Yep, them. The athlete doesn't make it, nope. right? I mean, nope. which is a whole other conversation. But, yep. um, okay, so what – and your brother, older or younger? Twin brother. Twin brother. Yep. Twin brother. Both stud athletes. Yeah. Did you both go to Rutgers? Both went to Rutgers. Same time, Same obviously. Time. Both were football. Both football. Did you go? When did you actually visit Rutgers? Our junior year, high school. High school. Yep. You get three visits. So we visit uh, 
Tennessee, Rutgers, and we wanted to go to Florida, but we already committed to Rutgers. Okay. Yep. What pulled you guys to Rutgers? Just the family atmosphere. It honestly reminded me just of my mom and dad. Like, just growing up, it was that family atmosphere. And we, we actually was with, like, 20 other recruits at the time. And they all felt the same way. Like, it was just a family atmosphere. You didn't you didn't feel that pressure of football. And that's something I love. Like, you, when you don't feel the pressure of sports, and you can still go be great at that sport, but you don't feel the demand inside of it, it was that was great. So, yep. Yeah. What did you major in? Um, a physician assistant for two years because I always wanted to be a doctor. And then um, I got so locked into football to where I transferred to um, psychology. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's my next question. So I'm fascinated by this, you know, Division One athletics. Mm-hmm. So what was the biggest change for you going from high school athletics to D1? Like, is there anything that really stuck out to you? The work ethic side. Okay. If you, if you don't have the work ethic side – they'll put it into you. They'll incorporate it into your daily life because you're waking up every day at like 4.30 in the morning, every day, just to work out. And then you're, when you first see a college itinerary from 4.30 to ending at 11.30 at night, if you're not ready for that, you you better get on board or you're just not going, you're just going to phase out because they're bringing in other recruits. They're bringing other college players and some of them are ready. Some of them already know the college atmosphere. So you got to learn you I I figured you got to get used to the college atmosphere and college work ethic. Now when you say an itinerary so they have your whole day planned out. Whole day planned out. So you wake up, you go work out. Do they schedule your classes for you too like uh, all that yep. stuff? They schedule everything around your classes and your workouts and pretty much you eating. Hmm. That's uh that's fascinating yep. to me. So with the working out, talk to me about that. So, was there a big difference in working out in high school versus working out with them? Like, I'm, sh- I know they have yep. a whole strength and conditioning whole strength. unit. So I love it because they have everything that you need, all down to a science. So when we work out, way different from high school, doesn't even compare. Um, you can take somebody that's like me. I was 135 pounds or 100 and. 45 pounds going into college as a receiver. What? Yeah. I left there like 230 pounds solid. Like, and that's something like, even like when I say it, I'm just like, how? But if you really follow the strength and condition coach and you, and you give him a a number that you want to meet, if it's reasonable, you're not going to just let you bulk up and get fat or anything. But if it's reasonable, you, they'll develop because that's his job. He's getting paid millions just to um, work you out and just to make you a better um, physical athlete. So, and if you buy into it, you'll leave exactly what you said. I gotta stop you. So, how tall are you? Six five. Were you six five going into? I was probably like just scratching six four. And you're about one hundred and forty pounds. Yep. I can't even picture that. Yep. Looking at you right now. Yep. What were you working? What was your? Were you lifting in high school? Rarely. Rarely. Yeah, rarely. I did a lot of. Speed and conditioning drills, um, fan work. So that's pretty much all I knew. And we did work out as far as the high school level, but I wasn't maxing out doing nothing like to build my muscle memory. Yeah. yeah. What kind of workouts and eating are done on the Division One level? Like for you, mm-hmm. when you went in, like mm-hmm. what changed? So diet. Diet. Yep. So I, the biggest thing, yeah, you have to stay consistent in the workout room, but if your diet is not 70% of that, you're not even going to show it. Yeah, you might feel stronger. You might you might get some cuts in your arms or whatever, but you might be a little bit faster, but you're not going to get to your um, ultimate goal. Right. Well, that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. If you're if you're in the gym breaking yourself down, mm-hmm. if you're not feeding your body to rebuild itself, then yeah. you're just 
you know, going to break yourself down. Um, is the coach, when you were there, the same coach now? Same coach now. What's his name? Coach Shiano, Greg Shiano. Okay. Yep. Do they hook you up with a mentor or anything like that when you first start yep. out? You do. So you get an academic advisor, and nine times out of ten, all the academic advisors have did Division One athletes, have did Division One sports. Right. So not only are they ac- your academic advisors setting up your sports, setting up your classes, but they're almost like your mentor as far as if you need to just talk and vent. If you're not – if you don't know what's going on the next week, um, they'll pretty much – categorize everything around what you're going through pretty much and basically help you out, make it smoother for you. And that's yeah. something I like. What was your brother doing during this time? Did you guys, um, is he similar to you, like similar size and build? Similar, Yeah, he was He was bigger than me. He was the bigger twin. Okay. Um, so he was always the bigger one, probably 30, 40 pounds heavier than me. Um, but same thing, we we both went through the same process. Yeah. Yep. That probably helped, right? Big help. Having your best friend in there with you, going through everything. So whatever I went through, he was doing the same thing. Did you get a room together? We had roommates, yep. Wow. All five years. Hmm. Um, did you have any early failures? Like I things? did. I did. Um, so my, my I had an older brother. That was my biggest failure. He was murdered. So he was murdered in my sophomore year, sophomore year of college. So I feel as though that was a bigger failure to me because you you get that sense of losing a, a sibling as brother. Um, I wasn't there, you know? Sure. So I'm getting... How I explained it is I was getting all this help to be great in life, but losing a brother, I felt like, damn, like I'm getting all this help to be great at what I want to be great at. But I wasn't there for him to like let him vent or see just to hear him out what he's gone through because I was so in, entwined to what I was doing in life, you know? Right. So I feel I, that was, I would say that's my number one failure as far as like just life. Yeah. yeah. How much older was he? Uh, six years older than me. Six years. Yep. Just went different paths. Different paths. Yep. Yeah. What have, any any other failures? I mean, I gotta imagine. So, did you start your first year? Nah. Um, I redshirted. So I did five years in college. You get a right. Re- you can, depending on a coach, if they see the value in you, if they see over time your body's going to build. So I was. Uh, I told you my weight. So they seen me projected to definitely gain the weight, and my my head coach didn't he didn't even see me fit in that receiver he was like yeah just in practice you're like physical so I want to try you eventually down the road at defense and I was like I'm all for it so I redshirted my first year pretty much is just a learning year you just you go through you learn the college atmosphere the college classrooms you work out three times a day and you just you don't play no games you just go watch um, so that I, I loved, I say that was my best year because me I'm somebody where I just soak everything in mm-hmm. and then I'll learn everything I need to do, and once I get all the answers, just, just take off from there. Yeah, that redshirt process seems very valuable. It's valuable. Right? You get to yep. sit back. Really, not a lot of pressure. There's nope. pressure, I'm sure, but uh, kind of learn the, system, learn the system, get your body where it needs to be, and you know, go from there. How often are you talking – when those conversations happen, right, like when you made the switch to defense, mm-hmm. Larry, are you talking to the head coach? Who are you talking to? You're talking to your position coach. So I had a, um, my receiver coach – he he knew it was coming, and like it's it's a game of chess. They don't want to lose you, but at the same time, they know they're going to lose you. Because yes, I'm going hard at receiver and offense, but soon's it's called scout teams. So scout teams, you pretty much can play anything, but you're giving the starters a look at the other team. Okay. So and I always were running uh, the defense, and like, oh, let me. What do you need me play? So safety linebacker, and they started they started seeing me playing linebacker much more, and I'm 
I'm actually stopping the starters from their plays and making tackles or running them down. And then it got to the point where the head coach started noticing, like, oh, man, you're making a lot of plays on scout team. Maybe let's try you out. Um, so that happened around my sophomore year. And my my position coach, he knew it was coming. And he would always say, like, why the, why the fuck you run around like that on defense? Stay, just stay your ass on offense. This yeah. is what you came here for. Um, and I was just like – Whatever, whatever, coach. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm here to play. Like whatever, wherever you need me. So, yeah. But the position coaches, he's there for you no matter what, and he's gonna, he's gonna try to direct you to stay on whatever position you're in. But they'll want you to be great at what you're good at. So you started your, so I started sophomore year, but that's really your first yeah, year much. of eligibility, yep. I guess. Uh, first year eligibility. Okay. Yep. Um, was there anybody that you can remember? That was always kind of on your tail, like like coming for your position kind of thing, or like how does that work? Uh, nah, I feel I feel as though we had a starter, his um, KJ Khalil Glaw. He was very good at New Jersey as high school. Then he was actually recruited to be a linebacker at Rutgers. So he he's my good friend to this day, and I feel as though. It's not so, so much that somebody rides you. So me and my brother always rode each other. So that was a natural given thing. But as far as in college, people don't even have to ride, pretty much ride you. You just feel that pressure. Like you, you can actually, you see, you, you're seeing all the answers right in front of you. So if I'm seeing you, you're working your ass off in practice. And then I'm watching you on the game and you're just making plays. That's the, that's that push right there. Like, I'm like, holy shit. Like, He's busting his ass. I'm seeing him make plays, so I got to step my game up. So it wasn't as far as he, nobody pushed me, but I'm seeing, obviously, the starter of uh, that position go be great every day. So I'm seeing in the workout room, like, you can look at that person and say, like, damn, like, he's doing this extra, or when the workout's over, he's going to do this extra. So you get all the answers. So I feel as though the visual side drove me to just do what I need to do extra or as far as what what to do on the field or how people carry themselves. And I would say the visual side pushed me more than anything because I was always uh, preserving everybody that was actually great in college. Yeah. Sounds like you had a, a very solid internal driving mm -hmm. factor. You didn't need somebody else really pushing exactly. you. It was just yep. – is that pretty common? Yeah. And me, yes, but not in the world. Well, no, yeah, I, I guess I meant among, like, uh, your higher echelon Division mm -hmm. One athletes. Yeah, it's, it's more common because you, when you get there, you have – five or six starters in front of you. So you're not just going to get there. Yeah, it's rare. You get there and just the coach says, yep, you're going to be a starter. You're going to shine. The coach Nine times out of ten, the coach will say, here's the players that are in front of you. I want you to um, idle them or um, follow them or pretty much visually see what they do for the next year. And once you do that, I mean, you can't fail because they're, if you got three starters in front of you, they're all good at something, and you're just taking that work ethic. You're taking value from somebody else, and you're taking the study and ability from somebody else and how they looking um, at film. And then pretty much by time, when your time comes, you have all the answers to how to be great. It's almost like they have it down to a science. Down to a science. With everything. Everything. Hmm. From the from the official visit to when we visited Rutgers, like, it's still to this day, it, it blows my mind because – like six of the players that we had for our official visit were like all first rounder in the draft, NFL draft. So we had Devin, two Devin McCourty brothers. They both were first rounders. Um, we had Kenny Britt. Um, he, I, I believe he was a first or second rounder. And Taekwon Underwood and Jamal Westerman. And they all were our hosts for our official visit. So we seen how we, the, you get you get to spend um, a week with them. 
Um, yeah, your parents are there too, but your parents are seeing like the academic side, the nice stuff for school. Sure. But the players are showing you pretty much the nitty gritty of stuff. Um, yeah, you're seeing some of the good stuff for um, the school, but they're pretty much bonding with you to almost not necessarily even get you to come, but just showing you the type of player they are like, oh man, look, yeah, we go through hard workouts, but man, look, we're a team. Show you where they stay off campus. Um, obviously, show you their classes route. Um, show you where they eat at. So you you kind of just bonded with them for a week. But to know that they all went to the NFL and and to meet them that week and to see what type of person they were, that really stuck. Yeah. So you got drafted. Mm-hmm. Explain to me that process. So when did you have some inkling that that could be a possibility? And when did you, mm-hmm. I guess, decide – that that is something you even want to entertain. Yep. So my junior year, my start of my junior year, I, I, like I said, I told you I'm a visual person. So I started to see, because we had a good receiver, Sanu. He was my roommate. And every NFL team would come to practice. And you'll see, I call it the wave. Like you'll see wherever Sanu went, the wave followed. <laughs> um, and then my junior year, like, oh, I was practicing one day and I felt the wave. I looked at Sanu and I'm like, because he always be like, yeah, let's get it, Pi. And um, I guess he's from he's from Africa. So Pi is, I guess, like your best friend or uh, another name for him. Like, yeah, let's get it, Pi. And I looked at him and I didn't see the wave, but I seen the like I felt the vibe, the energy, like the wave was over there watching me. So and I remember lining up and I'm just like, I remember looking at my coach and my coach looked at me and like we had a moment. He was just like, <laughs> now's your time. Yeah. Like now this is your time. And I remember looking at all those um, NFL recruits and they just had their pen and notepad almost just studying you. It's so crazy. They just study you, write stuff down you're good at. If you're a team player, if you're happy in practice, everything. And then that's when I knew, like, wow, like, this is this is really going to happen. This is really a thing. Hmm. So where does it go from there? So are they at practice all the time? All like, the time. Really? All the time. Um, and pretty much it's not even a visual thing. They'll talk to your coach. Um, they'll just almost see how you are off the field like is he going to class is he they don't even care about the grades pretty much because once you graduate college you're it's on you after that yeah um but they'll just they want to see what type of person you are because they're putting a huge investment in you yeah Yeah, you want to talk about a business yep it literally is a business it's a business so yeah talk me through because this is uh, it just shows my ignorance Mm -hmm. in this this area but uh how does it work like when you get drafted i mean uh, so so my junior year, my coach sat me down and pretty much they could talk to you about the NFL or see where you want to go um, as far as life, but they pretty much can't persuade you which team to go to or which team is influencing you. So my my um, coach sat me down. He was like, yeah, you're probably projected a top five linebacker in the, whenever you do come out for the draft. Um, was that a surprise to you or no? Uh, it was. I would say it was an accomplishment. Um, but humbly, though, because, I mean, I knew – like as much work as I put into it, I knew I I knew I was gonna get a reward from it somehow. I didn't even care if it was free agency, and I always used to tell my coach that I'm like, I don't even care if I don't get drafted. You know, I want to. My goal is just to, as a kid to make it to NFL. Sure. Um, and it's funny because that that is how it turned out. Like so, I went from a top five draft pick, and then my end of my junior year, I was projected top five linebacker in, in the nation, and then I. I went for an interception and I pretty much obliterated my appendix. So to the point where I guess it was, I guess the, the way the doctor explained it is you have a sack around your appendix. But when I landed on the ball, the tip of the ball went all the way through my stomach and hit my appendix perfect. And it pretty much just shattered my appendix. But 
but the way the doctor explained it, in your in that sack that holds your appendix together, and that never burst. So my appendix didn't rupture in my stomach. So I was out for like eight weeks. So I missed my whole. And you get recruited from the NFL. I, like I told you, that wave was on me that junior year, and that's something I like still says damn. It's like wow, like that was my time. But yeah. and I'm somebody like yeah. I'm, I put God first, so I mean, it just wasn't meant to be. That's in essence, and I didn't enforce it. Um, so, and I went from like a top five linebacker to like a top fifty linebacker <laughs> to a top hundred linebacker. So, I mean, it was all good. By the same time, I just was like, wow. But at the same time, I took the opportunity. I had another linebacker, Quentin Gauls, under me, and I was like, look, man, like this is not my time. Like you got to know when it's your time, it's your time. When it's not your time, it's not your time. But in this hall, how you handle it. So I, I, I was like, look, and he was so nervous. I'll never forget it. I was like, look, now it's not my time. I'm hurt. And I got eight weeks pretty much. That was the whole season. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just going to train you up. It's going to be a lot, but now is your time. So then, yeah, he took he took advantage of it. Dude, that's awesome, man. That Because that road could have gone one of two ways. Yep. You could have just, yep. you know, like David Goggins says, you could have got poopy pants and yep. just felt sorry for yourself. Can't do it. But you took on that mentoring role. Yeah. That's awesome. And it, it, it even like still to this point, like I always think like, man, if I would have just gave up, like I wouldn't even have made it to NFL. So if I would have got clouded from that injury, I wouldn't even have got a shot. And then like the draft came around and I, I actually went as a free agent. Um, so how the draft went, you pretty much you get drafted first between first and seventh round. Um, no, no, no draft pick. So I already knew my coach told me he was like, yeah. Even my agent. So you get an agent, and then he pretty much advertises you to all the teams. Do you got to, like, reach out to an agent? Do they reach out to you? They're coming to all the games, too. So they're part <laughs> part of that weave. I got you. So they, they all want the best players because they get a pretty much 3 5% cut. If your contract is a couple million, 5%, that's a lot of money. Sure. So they're they're fighting for you, too. Um, so we came up down to Sean Stiletto, good agent in New Jersey, has tons of players in NFL. Um, so after college, we went to train. Then he 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 keep it, he kept it real with you. That's what I wanted. Somebody that keeps it real. Um, somebody that has a family, has kids. Pretty much, they know the lifestyle. And he was telling me like, man, you went from a top five linebacker to a top hundred linebacker. He was like, if a team really wants you, he was like, they will take you at free agency. He was like, um, a lot of teams told me they were going to take you in the second round, but due to your appendix injury, um, they'll probably take you at free agent because they're it's an investment they're they don't want to risk like me coming into play and my appendix is still not fully healed or you sign a million dollar contract and you have to sit out a couple years because your um stomach's not fully healed so i was like oh that's fine i was like and i'm still locked into my mindset i'm like i just want to make it like yeah. it doesn't matter how i make it i just want to get there give me an opportunity so then once the draft ended every team called him and he was like yeah he had me a speaker he was like yeah man Every team's calling me. They want you um, to sign a um, free agent deal. He's like, which team do you want to go to? So then I'm like, wow. I'm like, ah, I'm, you know, I don't even have the time right then and there to just figure it out. Um, I really liked the Patriots at the time because they were back in their dynasty. Um, but then one, like, really stuck out, like the Titans. So I was like, wow, they had, like, two, gr- two great linebackers, but they were rebuilding at linebacker. So I told even my agent, he was like, yeah, that's a good point. Um, they're building, so... I always want. I always like to go places to build, not um, to just like say if LeBron James. That's a great example I used. He's already established. I wouldn't want to go play with him 
he's already established. I want to kind of, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't mind if I get sent there to learn from him, but I want to go to somewhere else to get established and obviously find my own mold, you know? Yeah, it makes total so sense. So I went to the Titans at the time, um, which was perfect fit, and they brought in actually like 20 linebackers. So, because that they were rebuilding. And I loved that side because it was competitive. Everybody's fighting for a position. Um, actually got cut within like five months into it. Um, still on the roster, got cut, whatever. My coach was like, yeah, we're going to bring you back because we were signing three linebackers and you're like on the bubble at fourth linebacker. So I was like, that's fine. So I actually came back, flew back to Delaware. Um, while I was cut, I went to the Giants, um, the San Diego Chargers, and then the Titans wanted me back. So I flew back to Titans, got back on the roster, um, went through the season for the whole year. And I'm just like t- taking this all in. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm just How old were you at this time? I was what? 20, 20 years old, 21. Yeah. Were you married? Not yet. I was married. I got married uh, junior year in college. Oh, okay. Yep, so married, had my daughter. Yep. Um, then went through the whole NFL process. And so I'm always, I try to think ahead. So I always wanted to be something to help people. Um, I always would divert back to law enforcement. Like, wow, what can I still be an athlete, but still help people along the way. And um, it always would take me back to law enforcement. So when it was like the eighth month into the NFL, I was like, wow, like I'm bouncing back and forth from team to team. Yeah, a lot of teams want me, um, but they're not, they're seeing my value, but it's just it's a business. So like when I was at the Chargers, they love my value. And I was like, man, but we're we're into the season right now. So we're going to put you on reserve. So I'm like and I found out, did my study and found out reserve players like, yeah, you're on the roster, you're getting paid, but you're pretty much not playing. They're just like kind of tucking you away so no team can pick you um so i did that for a couple months and then i the titans picked me back up and then they i got cut again because the season pretty much was ending um and i went home i was like wow i need to i need to i talked to my wife i was like it's time for backup plan it's time for plan b because yeah i love the nfl level and i i that sense of making it to nfl was over like i had already made it i had already seen it i had already been to games so as a kid, that driving factor is not there no more. So now I see the business side. Like I'm in the adult phase. Like I, f- I call it phases. Like the kid phase will drive you to anything. But then once you learn about it, you got to start adulting. Um, once I learned that adult side, as far as the business side, as far as the traveling side, and then I put family first. Like I'm not there with my wife. I'm not. I'm missing time with my daughter. Um, so then the adult side started kicking. So I had to go to plan B. So I applied with Delaware State Police and it's rare, but I got hired my first time around. And while I was in the academy, the Eagles wanted to sign me. Mm. And I was like, playing B's here. I'm already set in. And I stayed in the academy. Now, that that's a lifestyle, though. Mm-hmm. Do a lot of guys do that where they just kind of bounce around, just keep staying that NFL thing yep. and just keep yep. doing that? I have, still have friends to this day. They're <clears throat> still bouncing around. They're still um, signing a um, free agency contract. And they love it because it is for them. Like, if if you get into it, I would say it takes a good two to three years. But if you get into that bouncing around, I mean, yeah, you're still getting paid. It's a job, but you're just traveling. You're traveling. And pretty much you got to be you got to be built for that lifestyle. Yeah. That's great. You had a plan B and actually had that yep. conversation. Yep. Did you have a, uh, I, I always go back to the mentoring thing, but when you got to the NFL, did you have a mentor who kind of like explained that to you or nope. no? Nope. You just kind of figured it out? Uh, pretty much your best friends that have already been there. So pretty much. It's so competitive in the NFL and so time-consuming, you don't have enough time. It's not enough time in a day. Really? So pretty much you should learn about it in college. 
Um, but it's forbidden in college because they don't want you to get discouraged or get pretty much derailed as far as worrying about the NFL. So my my friend Deron Harmon, he's from Delaware. He made it to the, he went to the Patriots. So I always would pick his brain off season and when I was still in college. And even my roommates knew he went to the um, Falcons, well the Bengals one year before I left college. So I always would call them like, man, how is it? How is it? He's like, man. So it starts, the conversation would start off great. Like, man, it's great, man. I'm in the NFL. I just like my, my paycheck this week was like 200,000. Like, so you're hearing stuff like you're like, wow, I can't wait. Can't wait. But they're your best friends. So then they're also giving you the real side of things. They're like, man, like I have no time. I can't fly home. Um, and my Deron Harmon, he had his son, so he was like, "Man, I can't see my son." Um, but games are perfect. Games are have games are like the all time high. But at the same time, once the game in, you're jumping right back on the plane to go back to the to your hometown of your NFL team, and you're back to working out, back to study. You're focusing on the next team. So I got to learn that side in college through my friends. It, it's not something that's trained or taught as far as in college because they really don't want you to know yet and by the time you do get to nfl it's on top of you to where you're not gonna learn all that within your first year at nfl so having good friends pretty much helped me out i guess it's kind of similar law enforcement right in the sense Mm -hmm. of like before i came a cop Mm -hmm. i talked to a lot of cops Mm -hmm. you know i mean so i kind of had a general understanding of well you got shift work and you got Mm -hmm. this and you got that and Mm -hmm. you just make an educated decision on do i want to put up with that or not so Man, the Eagles called you in DSP's academy mm-hmm. for linebacker, obviously. Yep. Was that a conversation you had with your wife? It was, yeah. And in the TAC offices, too. I remember going to them and telling them uh, the Eagles, I think, want to sign me. And, like, one of them, Corporal Horsey, he was, he's a good friend of mine now, but he was still in TAC mode. He's like, what? What? Get out of here, Morrell. Get Get out of here. <laughs> And then I knew when I was, as I was running down the hallway, it was setting in like, wow, did he, is that really happening? So then they gave me a day off to go talk to my agent. And then obviously I was, didn't even care about my agent um, because I knew how the agent process worked. Pretty much it's your call if you want to go or not. So I went right to talk to my wife. Huge. She made a huge decision um, because I just, I'm big on vibes. I'm big on energy and already before the discussion was even had, like I already knew my wife's energy was like. I, daddy was home husband was home like her whole world changed you know and i could feel she was happy my daughter was happy life so, is good life yeah. is good yeah so i was like up oh, easy decision babe like we don't even need to have this conversation good I was for like, you. i'm going back to the academy um and i remember she was just like because she she was for me to want me to still pursue my goal but at the same time she didn't want to tell me no and that's something I love to love about her to this day, like where she'll, she'll push me to be great. But at the same time, even if she knows the best decision is to f- stay with family, she'll still want me to pursue my goal because we all have this one life. Um, I know a lot of people that if they don't pursue their goal in life, you don't you don't get to redo it. You don't get to re- go back. So that's something which I love about her. She was told me, like, I want you to go pursue your goal. But at the same time if you say no to this, will you want to eventually go back? Will you feel like you let yourself down where you feel that guilt of not going back. And I, I was to the point where, like I said, I already seen the NFL, already got to adult phase to where I, I felt the accomplishment. I felt the happiness. I seen the games. It was nothing more I can go back to try to try to get. Um, 
And yeah, a lot of people say, oh, you should have went back and got the money because the contract with the Eagles was like two point something million. Mm -hmm. So, but I wasn't in it for the money. I was in it for just the love of the game. Um, that's something a lot of people, I try to teach a lot of kids, like, don't be in it for the money, you know? But yeah, that conversation with my wife was so easy. I already, I already knew. I was like, yeah, I'm staying home. Family is great. And then I went back to the academy the next day. But their eyes was just like, wow, like he's back. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that said a lot about me. And then, yeah, the, like the next week, <laughs> I was voted president. And then, like, when we graduated, um, I was, like, all all th top three awards, like, that ever been done. Like, all right, I got president, top shot, and governor's top recruit. And I think that day said a lot about me to the, all the academy staff. Absolutely. Yeah. You're in it for the right reasons. Yeah, right reasons. Yeah. You brought up a great point that with going back to the NFL in the sense of you already done it. Already you done did it. it. Mm -hmm. You saw it. That's a that's a cool chapter in yep. your life. That's chapter forty seven or whatever it is in Jamal's life. And yep. you know, to go back, it just didn't have that same. Nope. And I always tell like when I mentor a lot of um, athletic kids in Delaware now, I'm like, if you already accomplished something, you got to watch. Like that's a whole nother ball game. You got to watch still doing it or still doing what you love because now what are you what are you trying to accomplish? And most of uh, athletes these days that I see or ones I mentor they're not even doing it for themselves no more they're doing it for like the public perception they're doing it for the money to try to chase a check um and that that's what crushes me because I'm just like man like you're going down the ending of that because like I majoring in psychology the ending of that is like a sad miserable oh man I should have did this lifestyle um so when I explain that to him I'm like man I never looked at it like that I'm like yeah because you chasing a check and you're chasing what other people perceive you to be, you're going to hit a, a dead end to where the point where when you do look at yourself, you're going to be like, man, damn, I did all this work and it wasn't for me. It was for like what John Sally wanted me to do or what this fan perceived me to be. Um, so, I mean, I always tell people just live your life, stay in your light, do what you want. And eventually your happiness will be that million dollar check. Your happiness will be seeing your daughter run through the door and I'll call you daddy, you know? Yeah. And that's, all, like I said, that's the adult inside. A lot of people, you can't really teach a kid that because they're not at that level yet, you know? Um, but they can learn from it through you. I always tell all my kids I mentor, I'm like, don't, I'm like, don't take my work ethic. If it's anything you take from me, take my values. And then you could apply that to your work ethic and then you can take off from there. Um, so that's something I learned at a young age. I just took people's values. They didn't really care about their work ethic. Um, just took their values and then I applied that to me, developed my work ethic, and then just shot off. You brought up a great point. And I do see this with a lot of people where mm -hmm. they live their lives based on what they think other people want them to live their lives yep. like. And I wrote this down, but it gets confusing. Mm -hmm. It gets confusing because if you just live your life based on what's good for you, your family, and all that, it's actually pretty easy. Mm -hmm. You just pretty go easy. about life, mm -hmm. and you just do what makes you happy. But if you start really getting involved with what other people want, mm -hmm. it gets very confusing. And yeah. you, I think he even said it where you get to a certain point where you look back and you're like, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Like, am I me or who? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> who am I? Yep. Yeah. And I, that's when people get into, like, a crisis situation because mm -hmm. they don't even know who they are. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it today. Look at COVID. A lot of people before COVID – even if they weren't an athlete, if just a regular person, they were living. They weren't living their lifestyle. They were living what other people perceive them to be. And we live in a social media society nowadays. So a lot of them were living that social media society. And now, boom, you got COVID. The whole world is pretty much at a standstill. You pretty much can't 
you can't live that social media lifestyle because shit's closed. You get what I'm saying? Um, you can't really go put this picture up because people like the airlines are shut down. Like, what are you doing? So now a lot of people are getting that realization of like, damn, like who, who am I really? Like, you know, I'm trying to live this perceivable lifestyle for other people, but it's really not me. So a lot of people are getting that reality check. Yeah. I want to go back real quick. What'd you think of uh DSP's Academy from a physicality standpoint? I mean, uh-huh. you're, you're, you're a stud athlete, but did they put a little more attention on you? Uh, easiest thing in the world. And I say that humbly. Um, I don't knock DSPS Academy, but it was something that were years and years of training. Yeah, <laughs> like no, you my were. My dad built was for my it. coach. My dad was my coach growing up. Then going through college, coaching Yano, then going to NFL. You got a hundred and something people on the team fighting for a roster spot. Um, then actually going to police and yeah, the demanding side, the work ethic side was learning to be a cop, more me mentally, but the physical side as far as them even pushing me to my level <laughs> uh, <laughs> to the point some days where like, sir, you could push me as much as you want, yeah. but I'm built for if I do get choked out, I'm built for if I can't, if I can't make the last mile, I'll fucking crawl into the finish line. Like, yeah. it's just that mental side. I already had it. So it pretty much was nothing nothing they could instill into me that I already didn't have instilled. So yeah, they did push me for certain test styles for certain runs or, but it was to the point where it got, I would say after the first month they knew, all right, morale's already there. So let's focus on other recruits. Um, and I brought up physicality because that's just what people understand. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the whole reason they push you is let's say you can do 150 pushups yes. in a row and I could do 70. Mm-hmm. Cool. They're going to try and make you do 151 exactly. and me do 71. Exactly. They it's, push you to which you can be pushed at. Yes. Everybody's different. And that's something I did. I loved about the Academy because, oh, the first day they'll tell you like, you're only as good as your weakest link. You, who's ever the best in here. We're going to make you best just like him. And they will fuck the other recruits up. Cause they're like, <laughs> Holy shit. We got this. Guy. Look at this dude. And they would say too, they were, it was mental side. They were like, they would tell my class like, yeah, we have this NFL recruit. We're, if you can't keep up with him, you're, you're going bye-bye. You're going, you're going home. So my, the recruits in my class, they would look like, man, like how are we going to keep up with you? And it kind of, I love the Academy, how it's all, mapped out because it's not based on me it's based on what they can do like whatever you can do like you just said you can do that and yeah whatever i can do i'm gonna push myself at that but at the end of the day we're working as one you know what i'm saying if you if you can do 100 push-ups you better get the 101 and if i can do 200 i better get 201 but we're still pushing ourselves yep we're all just trying to get to that mental side of things exactly and there is a point when you get mentally to where it really doesn't matter doesn't matter which is a great place to be that's uh, almost a place of solace it's like okay cool mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> right? that's a whole nother world whole nother world um yeah once you get to that level where mentally somebody can give you an outcome and if you got to get to the outcome you already know mentally like yeah i can get there but while me getting there i'm going learn something along the way and then when i get to that finish line i'm going push myself to do more that's a whole nother how many years have you been on the job now going on six i'm on my sixth year what's the biggest struggle for you i would say um people yeah i would say people because it it's always changing the the yeah the complaints the negativity and even the positivity is all the same but just a different person you come it's all coming from a different person every day so i would say that's the um 
the biggest thing because you fix one thing or you help one thing or help one person, I, sh- I should say, and then the next day you could get the same problem, the same positive or the same negative, but it's a different face. It's a different person. Um, and I would say that's the that's the biggest thing because it's the revolving wheel never stops. It yeah, never it stops. never stops. It never stops. That's an interesting point you brought up because I always say you get to a certain point in law enforcement where when you start out, you just don't have the Rolodex, mm-hmm. right? You, you run into the same things mm-hmm. over and over, over and, and over. over again. So once you hit a certain point, probably around four or five years, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, you just have a roll of decks of information. And really the job, I don't want to say it becomes easier. Mm-hmm. It does become easier. It becomes, yep. Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely becomes easier in a sense because you you know everything. <laughs> you yeah. get to, it's just like I compare it to sports all the time. Once you know the plays, you know the playbook. So now it's up to you actually going on the field but the only thing changing is the team. Every time you play a game, the only thing that changes is the team that you're playing against. And they might do something new or they um, – obviously, they're still trying to tackle you. They're still trying to score touchdowns. So, in a sense, that reviving will changes as far as the team, but the whole gist of things doesn't. So, that's, I compare it to cops all the time because, yeah – the reviving will has for me. I figure it started last year, as far as me knowing everything about the job, me knowing reports, me knowing different crimes and how to handle it. But the reviving will, as people, has just changed. That's the only thing. What's your? Do you have a forward-thinking plan for your time with DSP? Like, mm-hmm. do you have a, a roadmap of where you're kind of trying to go? Academy. Um, I, I'm big into training now, so I would love to go to academy and be a full-time instructor. Um, but right now, I'm pretty much a part-time instructor. I train and instruct everything as far as the job can name. But at the same time, I'm not there as far as a full-time yet. But me personally, I don't even want to be there as a full-time instructor yet. Um, that's a future goal. But right now, I love being on patrol because I'm actually seeing the people that are going through life struggles. And once I become a full-time instructor... Um, I'm not actually going to be dealing with people that are actually going through what they're going through as far as um, everyday, everyday life. Yeah. So you've been on the road for six years. Um, yeah, that that's about that tipping point just from my experience where people need a change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just and I've said this about my own career. I've had a very uh, I've had a great career. I, I started policing when I was 18. Yes. So from 18 to 20, I was a Wildwood. Okay. 20, 22, I was with MSP. Mm-hmm. And then I came to the county. So I did two years on the road. Then I got into CIU. Every okay. two years, I've done something different, okay. which has just been unique for me. Um, I never get stagnant. Like, I'm okay. always doing something different. But, yeah, what I've seen in our own department, around that six-year mark, mm-hmm. that's a that's a hit-or-miss hit point or miss. where if people start not getting into the specialized units mm-hmm. they want, they kind of start going down that slippery slope of just being an old salty corporal, and yep. it's kind of not a great road yep. to go down. So what are you doing training-wise? Um, I know you do a ton of stuff in the community, right? So like, what are some, what what are you doing with that? Training. Yeah, do you train kids? Like, are you part uh, of... So when I have my home gym, yeah. um, any kid and every kid I encounter that was live, trying to live a workout lifestyle, I'll just invite them over. Um, pretty much it turned into me training a kid because yeah. once they come the first day, I would see like they have no clue. Like they're just, they think they could just grab a biggest weight in the workout room and just do it but um yeah it, it started turning into me training them um for free and just to come over again come over again come over again and then before you know it, my wife's like damn like how many kids you got coming over <laughs> yeah and then it really it really stuck when um my good friend stepson um daryl williams 
he was getting recruited, going through the same lifestyle, but it wasn't even him working out. I was just giving him what I went through, the mental side. So now I'm starting to train kids like mental side things. Um, and then he he committed to University of Delaware for scholarship. Um, but he will always call me like, man, you told me about this, man, man, I did this today. And I remember you told me. So everything that I taught him or everything that I showed him, he actually started living it, living it, living it. And then like, like now, he just committed to South Carolina University. And he still calls me to his day. He's like, man, like, oh, just did this. I did that. I did this. He's like, but I already knew I was going to do it because when you told me. So I kind of gave him that year jump. And that's, I always tell him, like, man, just I'm proud of you. Just keep doing it. But remember, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to get that year jump or to learn that from somebody else. Um, so, yeah, that's something I did. I love doing that at my house when I have my home gym. So I can't wait till my house get built now Yeah, because I love just meeting kids from through police and that's why i love patrol meeting kids and like just been like yeah man you, you, you are you in college you're in high school what you doing like yeah you work out you play basketball i'm like yeah just come over sometime you know give them somebody my address and that goes a long way because it's no negativity towards it towards it because you know if that kid shows up rings my doorbell and i see him on my ring camera i'm like damn like he made the first step to just come because like, you know, you're right, that come. was a big step for that kid to make. Yep, just come. And then looking at, like, man, I know that drive up to my house is because I live in Smyrna. Um, even my new house is getting built in Smyrna. I know the drive up there, I was like, man. And the kid mindset, like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> I'm going to this cop's house. Because they don't, because that's why I love it. They don't get to know me when I'm on patrol. Like, you know, I might bond and interact with them, but it's not enough time. The next complaint's coming out. So I'm like, you got my number, use it. If you don't use it, I'm be highly upset, but use my number. And so it's not enough time for them to fully get to know me. So I know that drive to my house, they're like, man, who is this guy? But then when they get there, it's a never, it's a bond that you can't even, you can't even put a number on it as far as the price. Cause once they come to the door um, and then they go in my workout room and now they're starting to put the answers, the dots together. They're like, wow. Like he said, I can come over and work out. He has a home gym and I make them feel at home. Like I'll be like, man, I'll grab their phone, put on their playlist. I don't care if it's cussing, it's whatever. I make them feel at home, like, you know. Um, and then we'll get in the workout room. Then they'll see my NFL stuff. And they're like, man, you, what? What? NFL? Like, what? <laughs> and they'll see, like, all my accolades and stuff. And I'm like, oh, we're not here for that right now. I'm like, I'm just here to bond with you and work out with you. Then after an hour, two hours goes by, I'm like, all right, man, my kids are up. I'm about to go be a dad, be a family man. So now they're like, the fuck? Like, he he's a dad too like and then he just took the time out with me for free like and a lot of them are leaving like oh man i got 50 dollars, 20 dollars, man i gotta pay you I'm like nope you put that in the gas tank so that when that was like years ago me starting that um and then now it's just like kids after kids <laughs> my wife always says like oh man when you retire you better get a gym like get a separate gym because yeah. like now i have i have up to like 50 to 100 kids that just through, throughout the year. They might not come every day, but they'll still call me like, yeah, man, I'm back in town. Can I come stop by? And I'm like, yeah, come on, come on. So now and that's what really took off, just that bonds. Just, and yeah. It sounds like you're showing them what's possible. What's possible. Yeah. Right? Because here you are, this guy, obviously very physically mm -hmm. fit. They come over to your house. Mm -hmm. You got. I'm sure you're going to have a gorgeous house built. Yep. You got this awesome home gym. Now we got some NFL stuff. He's also a family man. He's a cop. Mm -hmm. Like you got a lot of great mm -hmm. things. I want to go back to something else real quick though. So with me in school right now, I, I do a ton of research on mm -hmm. resiliency. And I've always connected the dot the dots between like fitness mm -hmm. and mental toughness. Mm -hmm. And I always I 
I'm, I was not in the military, but I'm very drawn to the military in the sense of all the specialized units mm-hmm. all have something in common, right? If you want to go be a Navy SEAL, you want to be an Army Ranger, um, Delta Force, whatever mm-hmm. the other ones, MARSOC, all those, what do they all have in common? Well, in order to get to that train, you have to have a very high level of fitness. Mm-hmm. Well, why is that? Right. So I always come back to that. Well, I, because I think you can build mental toughness and resiliency through fitness. Mm-hmm. I think there's something going on there. I don't know the exact <laughs> yeah. mechanism that's at work there, but you kind of even touched on mm-hmm. that, that you're instilling mental toughness yeah. and, and resiliency through fitness. The fitness. Yeah. So the resiliency is that's a that that is the word, because um, when you're working out every day, when you're working out every day, you're. Not you're not even in the real world. You're just locked into your body, your mind, and you're 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 definitely going to reach failure at some point. If you're doing a good workout, if you're around the right right people, you're going to reach failure at some point in your workout, and you have to push through it. There's no way. There's no way. If that weight, when you get to failure in the workout, it's pretty much at a heavy weight or at a weight to where it's challenging your body. So that you that's when you start to build that resilience. You're like. You might fail, but you're like, fuck that. I'm going to try this rep again. So you might not even notice it, but you're building that resiliency over time. So imagine a month, a week of you doing workouts and you're failing. Then that resiliency, it starts to go away because you're like, fuck, I failed at this a month ago. Now I'm just repping this shit out. Mm -hmm. So now you're seeing the consistency side of your resilience just paying off, paying off, paying off. And then you take that and you're going into the real world. And then you're like, I got this task this day, this task tomorrow. Easy. Right. It makes you're it not, so much easier. You're not going, you're not going, you're just going. And I always say, like, my motto, me and my brother came up with this in high school. Like, it's just work. Like, it just, you're not, once you build that, but you have to build them scars. You have to, you have to fail. You have to um, put that pressure on you to where you want to build that resilient side. You get what I'm saying? And then once you, once you pretty much master that, and you might not even know you master it. You might just, from working out, you might just build it over time. And then once you go into the real world, you take that mindset, that work ethic in the real world. And a lot, a lot of people I see that build that through working out. And now they're back in the real world. They're like great fathers. They're like great at their profession. And then, and then, then outside of their profession, they're so happy because like they're just attacking everything that they're having their lifestyle and it goes back into everything yeah i think you explained that very well i think fitness allows you to reach failure Mm -hmm. understand that failure is not the end of the world Mm -hmm. and then you get better get better and then you do because dude i can't think of more i've done some pretty crazy workouts over Mm -hmm. the years uh you know and then say you have to go give a presentation Mm -hmm. at work or you have an oral board interview for something Mm -hmm. that's nothing who cares easy because you always think back to your like Hey, remember that time you did a thousand burpees in one day? Like, oh, well, this is, easy. who cares? Easy. That's Yeah, I'm trying to put the pieces together on that. I'm literally writing a dissertation on it. Okay. It's just very difficult because there's not a lot of research out there. Mm-hmm. Like, people have touched on it and, and they've shown that. Oh. Go ahead. That's something you, I don't even know. That's tough to explain. It is. That That's the problem is. Th- that's like. Using the scientific method to explain that is very difficult. Yeah. And there's not a lot of research out there. I'm working on it. I'm, I'm doing what I can. But uh, it's just something that I've always been fascinated with. But I know there's mm-hmm. a connection. I know there's a connection between that. So so my connection mentally when you said that, it comes up. And I hear it over time. Like So I always had it in my head. But 
And it always, I always stuck with everything I do. But Eric Thomas just said it the other day. He put in one of his things. He was like, well, resiliency is just like a diamond. So, so if there's a form of diamond, you have to go through the pressure side. You have to, you have that diamond has to get those cuts in it. Right. So, but once that, once that diamond reaches its full potential, then it shines bright. And then everywhere you take that diamond, it's still shining. No matter if you take that diamond to the bottom of the equator, it's still shining. If you take it to the to Mars where it's pressure is through the roof, it's still shining. So now I look at that as far as going through a workout. Like you're building your body up. You're putting the pressure on your body. You're building the cuts in your mental side, like as far as failing, pushing through it, failing, pushing through it. And over time, years and years and years, when you do go into the real world or you do get a task put in front of you, you're just ready to shine. You just it's natural. Yeah. But you have to go through that friction. There has to be pressure. Have to be the pressure. And I think a lot of people are afraid of that. A lot. I'll say today, ninety percent of the world is afraid of that pressure. Before you came in, John Yard and I are mm-hmm. our FOP president. We were actually talking about this mm-hmm. in how it seems that, you know, kids today, younger generation, and I hate saying that. I'm thirty one. Yep. Yep. How old are you? Thirty. 30. Yep. It it sounds weird to say that, but it does seem that they're getting softer. Mm-hmm. However, I think if you're raising kids in today's society, I think you can use sports. I still think you can use sports to build a hardy individual. 100%. You have to. You have to. I'll say sports is probably the number one thing right now to build a kid or anybody that you see or you project them to be something in life. Because the sports is going to it's going to instill so much core values in, into them and to where something not a lot of things can teach that. I mean, yeah, you can say, oh, well, I'm going to put them in private school. Oh, yeah, I'm going to put them in this, put them in that. But that's why we have a soft society today, because you have a lot of parents or a lot of grownups or coaches to where they never even felt that pressure. Mm-hmm. They never even felt those cuts to shine, but yet they're they're instilling trying to instill something into a kid but yet it's technically i see it a lot they're setting that kid up for failure because if you have a coach that never did it and the kid that never did it now that kid is trying to take the values from a coach that never even did it or a coach that never even put in that work ethic it's kind of setting the kid up because now the kid's like all right i'm gonna take what i know from him and i'm gonna go try to be great at it and then now that kid encounter somebody like me where I've been living that lifestyle. I put in the time I put in, I felt the pressure. I, I got the cuts from it or now I'm ready to shine. And now this is my moment. And now I'm up against this kid. That's why we have a soft society. Cause now that kid is, he's making excuses. He's going home bitching. He's, he's like, he's going home and he's just mentally depressed. That's why mental depression is through the roof right now. And it's sad. But at the same time, we're, you just had the right people not putting the right people in the right position. So when you do that over time, you do get a soft society. Yeah. No, uh, very well said. Mm. And you stole my thunder a little bit because I was going to bring up <laughs> Eric Thomas, but you brought him up before I did. Yeah. I was going to ask you kind of who you look to for mm. inspiration these days. Mm-hmm. Um, you brought up Eric. I have, my, my top three right now is Eric Thomas, David Goggins, and Jocko Willink. Okay. Uh, those are my three. I, just for you personally, like kind of who do you look to for those kind of things? So my my biggest one is my wife. So I always say my wife is number one because she knows me for me to the point where it's 
is scary. You get what I'm saying? I, I, I <laughs> she know. She knows me for me to the point where it's just scary to her. She's just my rock. And then I would say, I'm just gonna bring this up. My wife mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. will say things. My wife knows me so well now. Yep. We've been married for five years, four or okay. five years. Uh, she knows me so well now. We even went to high school together. We weren't in a relationship mm-hmm. then, but that she'll say things even before I say them. Yep. Because she just knows me. She knows, she knows I'm going to say this. Yep. And then when she, it freaks me out. Yep. But yeah. Same way. My wife knows what I'm saying, what I'm thinking, or if she see, if she feels like, like say if I missed a workout or something, she'll know like, I'm gonna plan the whole day around her and my kids, but I'm gonna get in the workout at some point. So as, at one point or time in the day, if the kids are about to go to sleep, if she's watching her Netflix show, she's like, yeah, you're about to go work out, right? And I'm like, <laughs> yep, you know it. Um, but yeah, so I'll say number one is my, wa- is my wife. Um, and then I would say my twin brother, because obviously it's somebody, he's somebody that's been there from the start. He's somebody I can always count on, um, always influential in my life. And he's just, it's just that twin brother um, connection. Sure. And then I would definitely say the third one is Eric Thomas because on the outside looking in, every all his motivational speeches, everything he's um, putting out into the world, I feel as though everybody should take something from him because not only he's building mentally, but he's, he's telling you what you have to go through if you want to reach this. You have to go through this if you want to be here. And he's also explaining a lot of motivational speakers don't explain that. And I would say that's tied and tied hand in hand with him and David Goggins because they're explaining if you don't do this, there is a fucking negative side to that. Mm-hmm. There is there is a miserable side. There is a, a failure side to where you will never get there if you don't do this in between. So and I, I really respect that about them because they're showing you the positive side which is great and they're giving you all the core values everything but they're also getting in the nitty-gritty of if you don't do the fucking work you will fail and you will and that failure side is this and they're explaining the failure side too and that's what i love yep and they've they've failed like they've they've been through failure and through failure especially you know eric thomas he tells a story of eating out uh trash cans and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff david goggins is the epitome of failure i mean he's failed so many times many times yep and look at that guy now yep i mean he's Yep. Resiliency. Resiliency. Yep. And that's how, how you get there. Um, can't stop. Yeah. Gotta keep going. What's kind of on the horizon for you? Like, what are some things that you're working on now mm-hmm. um, that you're trying to instill for the future? And what do you got going on now? Greatness. <laughs> yeah. So my future now is um, like I'm somebody where I have a million ideas, but I focus on one thing at a time. So right now, um, family, getting the house built, obviously set my family up for greatness as far as household because i feel as though my household i have to keep my household happy because if if my household is happy then it allows me to go out and almost instill happiness and instill greatness in the people um so yeah that's what i'm focused on now getting my house built um all that taken care of going through that and then after that um a couple things with the job um set up community events um they was a couple months ago they um our captain at troop two made me part-time community outreach at troop two so now i'm pretty much already doing what i already do but now i have pretty much free room to um take whatever else i want to do to him our captain just like i want to do this so i have a blueprint of a um mentorship at our troop um so instead of coming to my house doing the workout um come to the troop and where I could take in well, way more kids, um, kind of set up a good, I set up a good outline to where two times or three times a week, 
um, through high schools, um, any, I don't care if they going through detention every day, if they got F's, but it gives them, I want to give like kids in Delaware an out. And I, I feel as though it's not that many outs in Delaware no more as far as a kid can just go somewhere, get away. Who cares if they cuss? Um, but at the same time, they have the out to where they can go be themselves, vent, cry, work out. Um, and also through my outline to learn about a cop. Um, because now while while my mentorship I have, my plan is to not only mentor, mentor the kids, but still bridge that gap between police. Because now you got that mentorship where somebody's me mentoring them and other troopers that I bring on um, for the role too. Um, but now they're mentoring, they're getting mentored by a cop. So now they're going back into the public and they're like, wow, like my mentor is not only Jamal Morrell, but he's a cop. He's a state trooper. So now that whole perception as far as cops are this, cops are that, um, kind of you're bridging that gap. It kind of goes away. So that's what I have. That's my biggest plan. I like uh, it. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting you brought that up because uh, about a year ago, when I was trying to come up with the idea for uh, my dissertation for school and stuff, I came across a guy out of Texas. I'll give you his information mm -hmm. before I leave because okay. I just I just cold call people these okay. days. Like yep. I just literally hit people up yep. and you'd be surprised the amount of information exactly. you get. Brian Grant actually turned me on to that. Um, however, he did something very similar with a mentor-based program, reaching out to community kids. Mm -hmm. And this is something I'm not ashamed to, to admit, but I actually at the time turned that away because mm -hmm. I was like, I don't really know that mm -hmm. that's a place for police. I was like, yep. I don't know. I think we're blurring lines there. I've now gone back to the other mm -hmm. side to like, no, I, d I do think we need to yes. do that, yep. especially now. Especially now. And I always say like, you have if you have a gift or if you have if you're good at something why not put the right people in the right position so and i know that's something i'm good at with the community kids um mentorship bonding side so why hold myself back from that you know and i have a platform as being a trooper being in nfl so i have a wealth of knowledge up here at 30 years old to where you damn right what parent wouldn't want their kid to come to a mentorship to me keep it real with the parents say look Today, we're going to talk about positivity. Today, we're going to talk about aggression as far as how to control it. So that stuff like a kid doesn't really hear until like they actually have to deal with a cop. Uh, well, my aggression was too much today. I got in a fight and punched this kid in the face and now I'm getting locked up for assault. Um, so now I'm incorporating all that into the mentorship. So now a kid's like, wow, like I'm seeing this before it actually happens because a lot today in this society, why I want to do the mentorship because what I'm saying as a cop and a, a person in general, society in a sense, we wait till something negative happens, then we try to yeah, mentor or teach. Reactive. Exactly. Reactive. Exactly. So I'm kind of, I want to incorporate in my mentorship to nothing negative needs to happen before we kind of react to this. You know, we can, you can learn from it now. That way, when it does happen, you're, you can have that mindset, mindset to be an adult and be like, okay. I know the outcome of this. I know how I feel inside, but I'm going to do this because I learned it from this, you know? So that's a great point. You don't have to wait for something bad to happen. You can prepare yourself mm -hmm. ahead of time yep. so that when that situation does come up, yep. that's a great point. I and really like that. And, yep. And that ties back into that's just the mental side of resilience. That kid can build that resilience as far as him controlling himself and go from there. Yeah. Let me ask you this. And I always end, you know, we're kind of winding down now. Mm -hmm. and I always end every episode with this but what do you want people to take away from our conversation today oh man um i'm just a regular guy 
Um, just somebody out here that just everybody I encounter, I take all my moments 100 percent. I'm a family man first. I believe without your net system being good, you can't go out and promote good. Um, I'm just a regular guy and just somebody that's just out here just instilling what I know into other people and just promoting just happiness, promoting a good lifestyle, good healthy lifestyle and just and not only promoting it to adults but promoting it to kids because they're the next generation i love the fact that you've brought up a lot of good things here in the sense of if your home life isn't squared away mm-hmm. chances are you're not going to be putting out a lot of good energy nope i think a lot of people overlook that honestly mm-hmm. i think they just kind of you know whether and i'm t- i'm even talking about your house needs to be clean mm-hmm. have a good relationship with your wife your kids like yeah. all that stuff because if that's not squared away and I also like throw finances into that. Like, yeah, I have your finances squared okay, away. I have a you finance really everywhere. Because, dude, if you're having money problems, you're not you're not putting out positivity. Put, you can't. It's impossible. That's why I always say if you're, I call it the circle. If your circle is not whole, you're going to have some gaps. And then once you go out into the real world, if you have a cup with a hole in it, what's going to happen when that cup is going around? It's going to start leaking. And then other people that are living a good lifestyle you can almost feel it, that energy. You can look at that person and be like, wow, like he's not having a good day. Um, and that's something I will hold on to the day I die. Yeah. Right. I like it. Let's end it there. Oh, good. Thanks for coming on, man. Oh, anytime. All right. Anytime. All right, everyone. That concludes episode number 10 with Jamal Morrell. Again, I told you guys in the beginning, Jamal's a very inspirational person. I had great times getting a chance to sit down with him. And that's why I love podcasting because – had it not been for this show, I don't know if I ever would have met him. And he definitely said some things today that really stuck with me. The time and dedication that he put into his athletic career, and then that same time and dedication that he's putting into his family and his policing career, it's really showing. And Jamal's just going to have great success in the future, continued success. And like he says, you know, greatness. That's what he's striving for, and I think he's achieving that. So thanks for listening, and as always, if you learn something, share something.